You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today, as I said, I want to look a little bit closer at uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars-Green Bay Packers game. We went over sort of general statistics and why it's not impossible the Packers lose, because nothing is impossible, but it's just... I mean, I I don't want to hammer it too hard because it's just going to make people angrier if we lose. But it's about as close to best-case scenario as you can get, right? If if you were to lay out a game and say, you know, what is the best type of game that you could lay out? Or even just say the best team that you could play for the Green Bay Packers, who who would that be? If you could just pick one. I mean, the Jets would be pretty solid. (laughs) But not far down the list, possibly the second best option would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we looked at a lot of that yesterday. If you didn't listen to that, go check that out. It's, you know, where their defense ranks compared to where our offense ranks, where they struggle compared to where we excel, all that goody goodness. Um, I will say one of the things that's a little bit frustrating is the the feeling I got yesterday that maybe Alan Lazard isn't going to play. I mentioned, I've been saying he's probably going to play this whole week um, based on what, uh, who was it, Domofsky, I think, had said something to the effect of, Basically, he was ready to go on Thursday, so for sure he should be ready by now. I know he's been practicing. I mean, he's not, I don't know, I don't know how exactly that works, but he's been practicing. As far as I knew, everything was fine, but then you listen to Matt LaFleur yesterday, and he said, well, it's going to be a game-time decision. We'll see how it goes, except they actually have to activate him today from IR, I believe. So if they don't activate him today, he ain't playing. If they activate him, I have to think he is playing, although... It's possible they're being serious, that it's very, very close, and it's kind of day-to-day, so we'll activate them because we think there's a good chance, but we're not really sure. But I tend to think they know, have a pretty good idea what's going on. And I don't know, I just just something about yesterday gave me the vibe that Lazard, again, is not going to be playing, and that really... And who knows, with the head games and whatnot, I mean, is it really true that he was basically ready to go last week, or did he just say that to throw off the Jaguars? And he actually knows that he's not going to be ready for a couple more weeks yet. I don't know, I, I, I'm tired of that stuff, but it's... He's not playing until they say he's playing. That's my new mentality on the Alan Lazard thing. We're not going to see him. Um, some other bad news. Jair is officially doubtful, which, as I said, was pretty expected. Um, I didn't think he was going to play. It just, again, just kind of had that vibe, especially with the way things have gone this year. They're just not going to mess with it. You look at the Jaguars not exactly being the biggest threats in the world. So you definitely don't want to push it. Not, I mean, I don't think Lafleur is pushing anything anymore. Now, understand, that may change once we get to the playoffs, because I tend to believe that the whole point of doing this is to make sure we're healthy for the playoffs. So a lot of these guys, with the current injuries that they have, and I'm not talking about necessarily concussion, because that's a whole different category, and we're talking about a whole different level of immoral to push a guy with a concussion into a game. But, you know, soft tissue, core injuries, whatever, where it it hurts, but we kind of need to win this game, so maybe you man up a little bit and go play. Maybe. I don't know. I, I tend to think that's what's happening. Maybe Matt LaFleur is just like, nah, if you're not feeling it, just don't play. But I doubt it. Um, John Lovett, who, uh, I don't, don't want to be mean, but I'm, I'm almost frustrated that I've dedicated so much time on my podcast saying his name. He's out. 
The only time I even say his name is to say, oh, he's hurt, he's hurt, he's hurt. Every time I talk, do the injury report, he's hurt, he's hurt, he's hurt, and now he's officially out. So that guy that nobody knows that played like two snaps that has been injured this entire year is now officially out because apparently he tore his ACL somehow in the last 24 hours, I guess. I don't know. So anyways, otherwise EQ, Darius Shepard, Kevin King, Tanyan, Redmond, Scott, uh, that's Vernon Scott and Rick Wagner, um, all questionable. Also, before we get started um, looking at it, just so you know, the Coach Hahn videos are officially up on Facebook and YouTube. Pack Daddy NFL is the YouTube channel. You can go check that out over there. Otherwise, I put it up on the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I will share it in the group and some other uh, Packers groups and whatnot. So you should be able to see it if you're anywhere out there. I don't... No, I can put it on Twitter. I'll do that. I'll share it from YouTube to Twitter. There you go. And that's done. Beautiful. So go check that out. My only other goal for today that I want to accomplish is I've been I've been hitting pretty well on the college ball this year. Um, my big hot take in the offseason was a quarterback by the name of Matt Coral. I uh, lost my mind watching him. I said he's the best quarterback in college football. I was being a little bit flippant because I didn't watch very much. But just instantly when I saw the guy, just my jaw hit the floor. You know, occasionally, and this is what I love about the draft. I mean, there's a lot of things I love, but the when you watch different guys and you just get your guy. I don't I mean, I do a big board where I see everybody else's and it's an aggregate board and it's it's very helpful. But the best part about it is just watching different prospects and finding somebody that just makes your jaw hit the floor and you see that somebody says they're like the eighth best wide receiver and you're like, "You're out of your mind. This is the best wide receiver in the, and you're kind of embarrassed to admit it because you know you're not a scout." But you know what? Just bang the table. Just You don't have to say this is the best in football because that's I don't usually do that. I just say that's my guy. So my guy at the beginning of the year was Matt Coral. I got ripped up and down so hard on YouTube. The guy's not even going to start. What are you talking about? You're out of your mind. Granted, he's had a bad, he did have one bad game this year, but he has been unbelievably impressive. He's been on, you know, blowing up Twitter like crazy. And then last week on Saturday, I gave a couple linebacker prospects to keep an eye on. Now, I'm not going to do a bunch of different prospects today. I'm just going to try to hit on one because the linebacker prospect, I gave two in one game, but one of those two, that's all anybody talked about on Twitter. This guy's such a freak. He's so elite. He's this, he's that. Nobody had ever heard of him, except unless you had listened to my podcast that day, you would have heard of him before anybody else did. So my goal today is to find that gem for the third time. I already did linebacker, so I don't want to do that. So we'll do the next logical thing, and that's to go with a wide receiver. I did talk about a wide receiver before, but that was more or less to try to find a Matt LaFleur-style wide receiver, and I honestly don't even remember who that was. But I just found a guy that I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely a Matt LaFleur-style. I need to figure out who it was just in case we draft him. I can go back. But that's the uh, one of the perks of not having all my episodes transcribed. I can basically have my own little Packernet Google machine. Which I am working on bringing to the public, by the way. It's been a lot of fun. And by public, I mean paying public. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just found out I've been saying Matt Coral's name wrong. It's Corral. But that's also part of the fun of the college draft season, is saying people's name wrong and then refusing to change your mind on what their name is. Whatever. That's a heartbreaker, too, man. When that's your guy, and you've been banging the drum for a guy whose name you don't even know how to say. I watched games. I don't know. Unless maybe this guy's saying his name wrong. I don't know. But I, I'll give you my guy. I'm not sure if he's going to blow up. Maybe you've already heard of the guy, but I haven't really heard his name get brought up very much, and I feel like it's one of those things that possibly could break open this uh, today. So the game that I'm going to want to watch, and it's partly because my quarterback is going to be playing, 
Today at 6.30 p.m. Central Time, the Ole Miss Rebels are taking on the South Carolina Gamecocks. The third highest graded wide receiver this year is Ole Miss's wide receiver, Elijah Moore. He is a Randall Cobb-style slot receiver, and I know that's generally not what the Packers are going for. But I just, I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just my, I, I, you know, K.J. Hamler last year. It's just what I like. There's nothing better to me than a shifty slot receiver that is not only going to destroy zone defense because they're just really good at finding those spots, but they're way too quick and shifty to cover up in man. They're just going to destroy you right off the line. So that's going to be my guy this week. I mean, he's already had some pretty fantastic games. I mean, the only game in which he had less than 10 receptions was Week 8 against Auburn. This past week, 14 receptions on 15 targets for 238 yards and three touchdowns. So if you haven't heard his name yet, I don't know if we're going to hear it today. But given that it's a little bit of a later game, and again, I don't know the odds of the Packers picking a guy like this, but I mean, he does everything. You can put him anywhere. He does the, you know, the jet sweepy type stuff. He gets the handoffs out of the backfield. He's a you know great possession guy. We'll see if I can go three for three. He's already good. It's not about picking a guy that's about to blow up, although that's what happened with Corral. But we'll see. The, the big thing I'm looking for is if everybody in the media is going to start trying to be the first one to get on this guy's hype train. Second son, I was first. And again, if you're looking for that big body, Devin Funchess, Alan Lazard, MVS, whatever type of guy, best of luck. They're out there, but if you look at all the top receivers... There's maybe one in the top 20 that kind of fits that profile. There's a lot of real good wide receivers, but if the Packers are going to get one, he's going to be maybe six foot, 195 pounds. Anyways, uh, again, make sure you check out all those things that I mentioned before, the group, the page, the yada yadas. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you want to help out the podcast, you can join for as little as a dollar a month. As I've said, if everybody listening jumped on that train, pretty much be home free. But, um... Obviously, I know that's not realistic, but just to give you an idea, just how far a buck a month actually really goes for me, it goes a long way. If you have an aversion to uh, Patreon, as I know several people do, they've told me that, um, Venmo, PayPal, whatever, all that is greatly appreciated. Again, the best way that you can help out, tell your friends, tell your family, all that good stuff. My wife and stepmom had the idea of printing flyers, and I thought that was the most ridiculous idea I'd ever heard. I'm starting to think that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I can put them up in a public place where you can print them and put them all over your school or whatever. Not that anybody goes to school these days. Anyways, rambling again. Why don't we just take a break? We'll come back. We'll look at uh, Packers-Jags. If you're looking to up your wardrobe game, as in either you've had the same ratty clothes since forever, or you're usually just picking bottom-of-the-barrel stuff because it's cheap but you need some new clothes, I would advise you to treat yourself at least once. And if you're going to take that advice, you need to go to ironjock.com. That's I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. Don't spend extra money on a label. Spend it on quality fabric. That's all clothes is anyways, right? It's fabric. Iron Jock was developed with the goal of building the most advanced line of performance wear ever created. It's a unique collection of apparel built from technologically advanced superfibers. As silly as that sounds, that's literally what it is. Their Enduratec fabric is wicking and fast-drying, breathable, anti-static, and eliminates odor. Their Enduratec Plus fabric, which can be found in their long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jackets, is water-repellent, as well as all the other stuff that I just listed. So be sure to check out their line of stuff. They've got polo shirts, vests, workout shirts, which are long and short sleeve. They've got sweatshirts, shorts, socks and underwear, running jackets, hoodies, and pants. All of which you can find today at ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. For a closer look at the unique collection, follow them on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Ironjock. Otherwise, I've got some great news for you folks. The Packers are back up to being 14-point favorites. 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened. It was a real, real big scare for me seeing the Packers only up 13 and a half. But now that they're back to 14 point favorites, we can all breathe easy. Vegas has got our backs. But if you're looking to get in on that action or any other action for that matter, mybookie.ag is the place to be. Whether you're a first-time customer or if you've been playing for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets and contests they offer every single week. So sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, get paid. Just make sure when you do that you use promo code OVERTIME to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to $1,000. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you another $100. Not that that has to be exactly what it is. I'm just saying. You know how it is. So if you're already planning on placing some bets, this is just free money. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun. Win some cash while you're at it. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the first thing I want to do is kind of address a general confusion. Um, and it's not a confusion in terms of I don't understand you people. It's I don't, I'm, I'm with you and I don't understand us. Let me, let, me, let me give you an example. I've prefaced this that we may lose this game probably nine times just in this episode. I can't tell if it's because it's 2020 or if it's just the makeup of this team, which as I said I think yesterday, is a team that is basically undefeated unless and until the team completely implodes, which seems to happen just randomly. That isn't to say the 49ers aren't a very good team, but the Eagles weren't, and the Chargers weren't. Tampa Bay's good, but they're not elite. Minnesota certainly is not. And again, it's not as though, and I, and I don't mean to just say that these teams are all inept and the Packers should have beat them handily. I mean, the Vikings have talent, Tampa has talent. All these teams are, are somewhat talented, with the exception of maybe the Eagles last year. But there's a very clear pattern where when guys play the worst games they've played their entire lives, the Packers lose. But it's still generally weird how much fear that there is that this, this ticking time bomb is just about to go off. It's sort of like it just creates an unease. And, and I, I'm just guessing that that's what it is. Again, I'm trying to identify what it is in me also. Because you know, we all know that this team is super talented, but you never quite feel comfortable no matter where you are. There's really no team that we could face where it's like, oh, we don't have any chance of beating them. But week, every single week you're walking around like, yeah, we, we'll probably lose this game. 
Especially if they're bad. Then it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I just. I got a feeling. Just got this weird feeling. But let me just highlight a couple things because everything I've said that's positive about the team still stands. For example, this is still the highest Aaron Rodgers has ever graded in his entire career. Yeah, but he hasn't looked as good recent. No, 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 no. Hold on. He was elite for four weeks in a row. We came out of the bye, and he had a terrible, terrible, terrible game against Tampa. He's gotten better every single week. The game against Houston, he graded out as good, which is a little disconcerting because it's like, oh, man, he's not elite anymore. And then he got right back on the ball against Minnesota. I understand we lost that game, but he got better. And then this week, week nine, was the second best game he's played this year. Which doesn't sound all that impressive until you realize that week one was the best game he's ever played basically in his entire career. There were two games all of last year in which he played better, according to PFF, than he did against San Francisco. So as best as I can tell, there was a weird little blip in week six, and he's gotten progressively better every single week since, up to and including this last week where he played out of his ever-loving mind. Devontae Adams has been consistently elite all year long. I have said since his second year, he's gotten progressively better every single year, and I don't know how long that's going to go on, but I do know that it's continuing this year because this year is his best year ever. He is the best wide receiver in all of football. It wasn't very long ago when I was trying to decide is he top 10 or top 5 because there's five, I mean, super, super good wide receivers, and as much as I like Devontae, I just don't know if I can put him in that company. There's no question anymore as far as this year is concerned. It's not that I was wrong, you know, two years ago. It's just that he wasn't this good two years ago. So it's by far the best quarterback wide receiver duo in all of football. Aaron Jones is... He's not grading as well as he has in the past, but he's clearly taken a massive step as a wide receiver and has become just this all-around weapon that changes the identity of this offense when he's on the field. The offensive line has been beaten and battered, but has held up better than any offensive line in football. Now, I still contend that we have faced the worst pass rushers in the history of, of the universe. We have, I don't think we've faced a single good pass rusher this entire, entire year. In fact, Josh Allen coming up might actually be the best pass rusher we've faced. He has 20 pressures on 189 attempts, so he's at, you know, 10.5%, which means he's not very good, but he's still probably better than everybody else we've seen this year. He also only has two sacks, so people are definitely going to tell you that he's trash because all they care about is sacks, but his pressures are at least in that, like, you're not trash exactly category. Close, but not quite. (laughs) But still, for whatever it's worth, the Packers' offensive line has still held up better than anybody else's. And I'm sure we're not the only team that has faced vanilla garbage pass rushers. And I guess Shaquille Barrett's pretty solid, which is a terrible example considering we lost that game. (laughs) On top of all that, as bad as things have been, it's only bad in comparison to last year. I already told you our defense is middle of the road, not 32nd or 30th or 24th or 22nd in any metric. 17th in points, 11th in yards, PFF has us 19th. It's not good. It's not as good as we had hoped, but it's not as bad as we make it out to be. Even the run defense, which Packer fans say is the worst run defense in the history of the universe. Anybody that's ever run a football is going to go for 400 yards against us. We blow that wildly out of proportion. PFF has us ranked 20th against the run. Montrevious Adams is the 17th highest graded player against the run at defensive tackle. Kingsley Kiki is 23rd. In terms of yards against the Packers, 12th, 888 yards. That's 111 yards a game. The only real big game uh, was 
the Vikings, and that was 173 yards. The Packers put up 260 against the Lions. So again, we, we just, I think we blow, it, it's not a, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying we blow it out of proportion. Don't twist my words. The San Francisco 49ers ran for 55 yards. The Texans ran for 79. The Falcons ran for 78. The Lions ran for 89. The biggest issue, I think, is is tackling. Usually when the tackling is real bad, the run defense tends to look bad. But in terms of, of really just doing your job, I, I think guys do a generally decent job. And I don't really see that changing this week, even if we want to debate that. Again, Josh Allen is not the worst in the universe, but he's not a game wrecker. He's not a Bosa. He's not, you know, Shaquille Barrett. He's not Khalil Mack. We'll, we'll worry about that in due time. There's nobody right now. Taven Bryan was an interior defensive guy that they drafted that was supposed to be that kind of a guy, sort of a leaner, get-after-the-quarterback type. He's been terrible. Now, one thing to keep in mind, and you'll notice this if you go watch Coach Hahn's video, or if you haven't already, go do that. But um, according to Coach's assessment after watching the Panthers is that they do like to bring extra pressure. The biggest problem with that, as great as that is as a defensive philosophy in general, um, and we've seen this several times with the Packers, up to and including possibly this year, when you don't have very good pass rushers, it's kind of a pick your poison. Because if you just bring, let's say, your front four, front five, whatever it is, and they can't get home, what's the point? I mean, what are they doing? So it, it entices you to bring some extra guy to try to win schematically, similar to what Tampa does, similar to what the Packers and the Vikings and everybody does to some degree in, in various different ways, whether it's, you know, the double A gap, whether it's, you know, bringing uh, stunts, bringing a corner, whatever it might be. What the Jaguars like to do is bring six. The issue is, when you do that, you had better, better, better get home. And if you bring enough guys, somebody's going to get there eventually because it's just a numbers thing. You, you know, five guys can't block six. But you'd better get there, and you better get there pretty quick because somebody's going to be unblocked. Let's just look at this for... The Vikings have released Pat Elfline. Interesting. Anyways, if you're going to bring six, Let's say you got Gotsis, Hamilton, Bryan, and Allen are your front four. They're coming. And then we're going to bring, let's just say, two linebackers, Correa and Show. Miles Jack would probably make more sense, but he's actually the graded as the number one linebacker in football right now. Guy that I really liked coming out of college. I'm actually happy to see that he's doing well. He's been real up and down. Um, again, I was a huge fan of his, but he's been mostly not productive. But this year he's been fantastic. Anyways, so let's say we're going to leave him in coverage because he's really good at it and we're under man. That means, let's say... We're going to go Sidney Jones on Devontae Adams one-on-one. That's already a problem. Because if they're coming with six, immediately Rodgers' thought is, and he's going to convey this to the receivers, and the receivers need to understand this right off the bat, and somebody like Adams definitely will. Get open, get open fast. And Devontae is a master of that. He can do a lot of things really well, but if his job is you got one-on-one, you need to get open immediately, and I'm going to get the ball to you, that's an automatic, which, by the way, as it stands right now, Aaron Rodgers is the highest-graded quarterback in football. Devontae Adams is the number one wide receiver in football, thanks to Seattle, or Russell Wilson's um, poor performance. So we have the number one uh, quarterback and the number one wide receiver, and you, as Sidney Jones, a middling, decent, not great corner, have to try to stop this on your own. That's number one. And here's, here's the other issue. We only need one guy open. they got to cover across the board until one of these six guys, none of which are really good pass rushers, get home. Then let's just say it's, uh, I don't know, Shepard and Scantling, because that's what they've got here. Let's say Alan Lazard doesn't really do anything. We have to bring a safety down. Let's say Wilson has to come down and cover the slot, or Jones. It's their strong safety. The Jones that I'm referring to, by the way, is Josh Jones. 
Yes, he's injured. He's questionable. It's all it, we're, we're kind of. It doesn't really matter, but it also makes it more interesting to say that he is going to play and cover our guy. Josh Jones's job will be to drop down and, and stop Shepard in the slot. You got C.J. Henderson, who is a first-round pick, the number nine overall pick this year. He actually got off to a great start. I remember he was uh, the highest-graded corner, I think, in football in Week One. So it was kind of, it was like all the rookies kind of looked bad so far. But man, the C.J. Henderson—they might have found something for real. No, he completely fell off after that. He's going to have to stop MVS down the field with one single high safety staying back, because we're assuming we're not going to leave the backfield completely empty. That leaves Robert Tanyan and uh, Aaron Jones to be covered by one guy that's a mismatch. Now, we could say we're not going to do any mismatches. We're going to put Jack on Tanyan, we're gonna, or you know, either way, and then Wilson's going to come down here and, and cover the running back. Now we have no safeties. Again, I don't know if we have time to get MVS down the field, but all he needs, remember, he doesn't need to get 20 yards down the field. He needs to get around his guy and get shoulder to shoulder. If he's shoulder to shoulder, ball's coming out because now it's just a foot race, and he's either going to grab MVS's jersey or I'm going to throw it up in the air down the field real high to give him time to run underneath it and go get the ball, and he will. It's a super high-risk thing, and again, the, the issue is, the catch-22 is, these guys aren't very good pass rushers. So if we cause a lot of congestion or problems, what we what uh, we saw in Coach Hahn's video is sometimes you'll just have guys get cut out. We know you're going to overload it, so we're going to have some of our guys just cut your guys' legs out. And now we just got a pile of bodies landed. there. They're not going to get up and get anybody. So we got a traffic jam over here. We're going to con- cause a lot of congestion up the middle. And fine, you want to run all the way around the outside to try to get to Rogers. You know, again, eventually somebody's going to get there. But you put yourself in a super dangerous position. Now, on the flip side of that, Let's say we're not going to bring six because we can't go man-to-man with Devontae Adams. We need to bring a little bit of extra help. we got to play back a little bit. Fine. The problem is now your guys have to get home. Now it's on these guys to actually produce. So that's just from a passing standpoint. That's just what, that's one dynamic of this game in which the Jaguars have to try to find a way to bring pressure against this line that is just, it's very stingy. And again, even if you want to come from the angle of, well, that's because they haven't gone against pass rushers, well, they're still not this week. So why would it change? If the only thing they can do is block up real bad pass rushers, guess what? They got another big game ahead of them. Something else to keep in mind, the last time we've seen Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones on the field at the same time was week six. Jamal didn't play week nine. Weeks eight and seven, Jamal played, Aaron Jones didn't. I know that game didn't go all that well, but the point is we haven't even seen these guys on the field together, and we know what that can do. So when I'm looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars, another issue is they've got, you know, some talent somewhere. Josh Allen is not inept as a pass rusher but he's not great Sidney Jones isn't inept as a cornerback but going up against Devontae is a serious problem so it's one of those things where if these guys can all play their best and I said this yesterday if they can all play their best while simultaneously the Packers are playing their worst there's a chance so the only way I see this going sour for the Packers is Josh Allen has some success getting after the quarterback in a game in which um David Bakhtiari comes back now granted Allen typically lines up off the right side meaning he's going up against Billy Turner presumably. I don't know what the offensive line is going to look. It's been different every single week, but that's presumably what it's going to be. But still, it's a better offensive line than it has been. But Allen has to be better than he has been. Then you have to have Sidney Jones have, and he's had some good games, some terrible games. He's got to have his best game against Devontae, and Devontae needs to have somewhat of a bad game. And again, Devontae is one of those guys that just does not have bad days. Everybody has bad days, except Devontae. Aaron Rodgers, simultaneously, will need to have a bad day. Because if he's on, he's going to find the right guys. He's going to get the ball where it needs to be. On top of that, Miles Jack, who's a really solid coverage linebacker, is going to have to take away all this stuff from our tight ends and from our running back. Whether it's Jamal, Aaron Jones, whatever, any kind of little sneaky stuff we're trying to have popped out, Miles Jack has got to be all over that. Even then, though, 
it means that nobody else, if Alan Lazard plays, he needs to not be very good because, again, he'd be going up against C.J. Henderson, who's done nothing this year. We've got quality offensive linemen who'd have to have terrible games against guys that, you know, of, of course, everybody has good days, but for the most part, the guys up front have not been very good. Joe Schobert, inside linebacker, he's another one of the guys that, you know, he's there, he's playing, is horrific. He is ranked, thir- uh, excuse me, 73rd out of 74 linebackers in coverage. I mean, he's somewhat of a throwback linebacker. You know, he's more of a a run-defending type guy. I don't think they're going to try to put him in a lot of coverage situations, but the Packers are going to try to dictate that he has to be. I mean, if you're on the field and we don't run, what are you doing? You're going to blitz every time you don't see a handoff? No, you're going to drop into coverage. The Packers are going to try to take advantage of that. So again, what I try to do, especially in these situations where the Packers are the better team, which has been the case pretty much this whole year, especially this week, though, is in what scenario? Is this defense going to stop this offense? And I, there, there aren't many other than a complete offensive implosion. And we know how that goes, right? you you got to get off to And I think bringing a lot of heavy pressure early is a good idea because if, if you can manage to get home, right, if, if Sidney Jones can really jam up uh, Devontae Adams and, and Henderson can jam up MVS and they just can't seem to get off the line, and we got Jones kind of coming out in the flat and Jack just goes flying out there and Rodgers has nowhere to go and he goes down, you know how it is with the rhythm where the rhythm isn't quite there. You're getting to Rodgers. He's getting a little bit flustered. That's probably going to be the best case scenario for the Jaguars. But I don't know how sustainable that is. The, again, the only way that they win this game, in my opinion, is get to Rodgers quickly and early and just hope that he gets way up inside his head and can't overcome this because this defense is just so bad. But again, the, the real good news, and again, you can see this in the video that Coach Hahn put up. The real good news is if they go real heavy and real hard in the beginning and the Packers are ready for it and they can execute, the Jaguars are going to get bit real hard. And although we've been seeing a lot of real dink and dunk type stuff, which may still be the case, right? If it's get the ball out quickly, great. But you may have a situation where you got Jones and you got Tanya and you got Lewis and you got Adam who are all doing these quick little routes, but you also got MVS. Maybe possibly we'll take a shot. We'll see what the defense does. You may see an opening shot. And I, I called it not too many weeks ago where I said an early shot is the best way to go at this team. And that's exactly what they did right out of the gate. First or second play, they went right down the field just to try to get them to back off. I don't know that they don't at least try, at least they're going to have that option available. Right? They're going to have MVS try to get down the field. If they keep some of the safeties back, fine, then we'll pull, I'm going to move my eyes over to Devontae and see if he can get open. But they're going to keep, if nothing else, they're going to threaten it. And it's one of those situations, and I said this last time too, and I wish I could remember what game it was, but I said it doesn't matter if you complete it. You need to threaten it. Because if they come and they don't get home and that ball went launching down the field, you're at the very least going to make them real scared. They can call it a half a victory because it was an incompletion, but they know that eventually that's going to get completed and it's going to make them think twice. So again, it really just depends what the Jaguars want to do. I, I trust Coach that that's what they're probably going to do, and I think it makes sense for most teams. You want to come hot and heavy early. You don't want to let the Packers get into a rhythm. Now, if we are assuming that the Packers are going to be able to move down the field at will, it really just comes down to, okay, can we make sure that the uh, the Jaguars' offense does not do the same? And I have to assume the answer to that question is yes. I've been doing a decent amount of praising for the Jaguars offense, but it's looking a little bit ugly. I mentioned how Luton, which, I mean, it's pretty straightforward how to say it, but it, it always feels like I'm like gagging on my own tongue when I say it for some reason. I feel like it needs to be like Luton or something. I don't know. It's weird. But the guy is a sixth round pick, a rookie, and has played one game this year. And, and honestly, it wasn't the worst game in the world, which kind of makes me a little bit nervous. And then you realize, you know what? Nah, this guy is going to be a nightmare. This guy, Oregon State Beaver, 
sixth round pick, played one game this year, and it was against, you guessed it, one of the worst defenses in football. They keep coming up a lot. Seahawks, Texans, Jaguars, Jets. Don't worry about it. There's a bunch of them, okay? You figure from 20 to 32 is a big group of teams. Leave me alone. But he was 26 of 38, which isn't bad, threw for 304 yards, had a touchdown and a pick. Here's one of the other weird things about, you know, bringing somebody like this in out of nowhere. The Texans didn't really have a template. Not that they can do anything anyways because their defense is super trash. But Mike Patton at least has a week to watch this guy play football. Six foot seven, two twenty nine. By the way, the guy's a monster. One of the things that stands out immediately when I look at, for example, this passing by direction chart, you could look at it and be a little bit nervous because his grades are actually pretty decent further away, beyond twenty yards, uh, outside right, seventy one is his grade, eighty five point seven. He was one for one for twenty seven yards deep middle, and then intermediate middle, one of two for seventeen yards. Give him a ninety point five overall grade. It's like, oh wow, this guy can actually like throw a football. That's cool. Here's the problem. He's got terrible grades in just about any other area, and the one, the, the areas in which he graded out well, really small sample size. He only completed one pass in each of those quadrants. So when you're really bad, you got a 32 overall grade, intermediate right. His highest grade under 10 yards was a 65.1. Leads me to believe the guy's actually a pretty bad quarterback that got off a couple good balls to guys that were probably open down the field. Beyond that, he graded out higher under pressure than when not under pressure. That is a wildly unsustainable... Everything about this screams fluke and unsustainable. While not under pressure, his grade was a 62.9. 22 of 27, 244 yards and a touchdown. Not terrible stats. They must have been wildly off-target passes with some dropped interceptions mixed in or something. Point is, this is a terrible situation for the Jaguars to have Jake Luton starting. Beyond that, One of the things that I kind of like about the situation that we're in right now with these wide receivers, DJ Chark is a talented guy, 6'4", 198, ran a 4'3", he's pretty fat. But one of the things that's for sure about these wide receivers generally is that they're pretty big, strong, it's a physical team. They're, They're just, I mean, they used to have a physical running back, they got rid of him. Physical wide receivers, at least used to be, they got some injuries now, LaVisca Chenault. I kind of like that the way that that plays against guys like Kevin King and especially Josh Jackson. So you've got a quarterback that I think is headed for a massive implosion, right? In terms of he looked not bad. Maybe there's something here. Oh, never mind. That was that was that's a nightmare. He got destroyed. Maybe it doesn't happen against the Packers, but I kind of feel like it's not going to be a great outing for the young man. I've already highlighted a wide receiver who's decent. That's Mr. DJ Chark. The issue is, though, he's not consistently great. He's had one good game in the last four weeks, and that was last week against Houston. Again, terrible corners and everything else. They've had a running back that's been surprisingly impressive, right? He's an undrafted free agent in 2020 at Illinois State. However, similarly, he was real hot out of the gate, weeks one, two, three, and four. He's been terrible the last four weeks with the exception of one game against the Chargers. Houston, Detroit, and Houston again, not good outings. 3.7 yards per attempt against Houston, 2.4 yards per attempt against Detroit, and then 4 yards per attempt, which isn't terrible, but he had a below 60 overall grade. The other thing to keep in mind here, his usage since their quarterback went down, 16, we're talking attempts here, 16, 16, 11, 17, 13, 12, 22, 25. So there's very little doubt in my mind what Jacksonville is going to try to do. The problem is, are they going to be able to keep it up? Their goal is going to be to run, 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 run. Very simple goal for the Packers. Stop him from running. That's it. you got to stop him from being able to run the ball. This is not Dalvin Cook. He's not going to be breaking ankles the same way that Dalvin Cook does. He's not as... I mean, he's, he's 220. He's a pretty stout guy. 
He should not be breaking tackles the same kind of way. Play downhill, bring down James Robinson, force them to use this not good quarterback to throw to these not very good receiving options and win that way. And the best way to do that, get a lead. They're going to want to slow the tempo. They're going to attack Aaron Rodgers, get him off the field, get their team on the field, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Devour, destroy, tire out our defense, destroy the clock. That's how they win the game. Can't let them do it. You're not going to run, and we are going to score, and you're going to have to start throwing because you're down by 14 already. Those are the two competing game plans. And, and the interesting thing about it, although it's kind of scary and it sometimes you get too panicky because things don't go super great in the beginning, but that's how you can tell who's winning the game before there's even a score. Is it a game in which the the um, the Packers aren't able to do what they're able to do? Right, They can't get into their rhythm and the, the pressure is actually getting to Rodgers. Is it a game in which the Jaguars are running the ball and they're doing so effectively and we can't get them off the field? We're playing to the Jaguars' strengths. We're playing their game. That's not great. If we're able to throw the ball, if their pressure isn't getting home, if we can run the ball, if they can't run the ball... Regardless of the score, the Packers are winning the game. They're playing their style of football. Even if they're having some success passing, if they're having to pass because they can't run, that's exactly what they want. In fact, Petten is probably going to try to load up, as much as that's not really his style. It makes sense if he tries to load up and say, I want you to throw. Show me that you can beat us throwing. And then you play that whole bend-don't-break kind of thing that, that Petten kind of plays where, you know, they tend to move down the field, but we're looking for that one big play. We're looking for that sack. We're looking to confuse this guy, especially with a young, inexperienced quarterback. We don't want to just get you off the field. We want to take the ball from you, right? We're, we're going to confuse you. We're going to, we're going to throw some stuff at you. We're going to bring some people you weren't expecting. We're going to try to force you to throw a pass that you definitely should not have thrown, and we got to make sure our guys are in a position to make a play. So again, the, the, the path to victory is really clear for everybody, especially the Jacksonville Jaguar. Bring pressure, get to Aaron Rodgers, run the ball effectively. If they can do that, they got a shot. The hardest part is going to be consistently keeping the Packers' offense out of this game. That's going to be the hardest part for the Jaguar. But again, you can do that. Running the, running the ball serves two purposes. It tires out our defense, plays your style of game in which you're able to move down the field, eats up clock, and keeps Aaron Rodgers off the field so that even if we're throwing effectively, if we get the ball once... They get us off the field. They drive, you know, 10 minutes to get down the field, get a touchdown. And that's, you know, the end of the quarter. Technically, we're playing our game where we can pass, but we're not able to run up the score. We're keeping it close. It's it's not great. So I think the biggest thing for the Packers is defensively, don't let them get in this game. Don't let them grind down the clock. Don't let them, And they're not good at that, by the way. I'm saying what they have to do. I'm not saying what they're good at. This is not something that they're generally adept at doing, but it's what they have to do if they want to win. So... For the sake of not talking in circles any more than I already have, why don't we call that good? You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.